Airing from the No Sponsorship Studios, this is Buddy Walk with Jesus, where real life and the kingdom of God connect. Now, your hosts, Joe and Edgar. Father God, I thank you for your word. Father, right now, through all the happiness that somebody might be feeling, multiple people, Father, I just pray right now you'd pierce that, that you'd bring light to that weariness, that bone weariness, that depression, Father, that you'd bring light to the heaviness, that we would be able to find our comfort and our refuge in you, and that we would look to you not only to guide us and instruct us, but to love us when we feel so unlovable. Father, I thank you that you can do the impossible. And not only can you do it, you show us how we can do it by entering into it with partnership with you, with being with you, with intimacy with you, with relying on you. Father, let us be authentic before you, because if we are not authentic before you, then we've lost everything. And I pray for each and every listener that they would be able to open their hearts towards you like the way flowers would look to the sunlight, Father, actually turning towards it, that we would turn towards you, that we would look to your light to give us the life we need and not any other thing. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome back to Buddy Walk with Jesus. As always, as we get started, I want you guys to know two things that you are prayed for and that you are loved deeply. Remember, if you are in need of prayer, do not hesitate to reach out. Prayer at buddywalkwithjesus.com. If you are interested in supporting the ministry at all, you can find all of the links for all of the things at buddywalkwithjesus.com, as well as the link for our Discord server, the collection of the saints where you can come engage with other believers. So a short recap of our trip so far through Colossians. We've discussed the full image of God that we have in Jesus and what we have to celebrate knowing of God. Our freedom in Christ and the maturation process of the Christian. And we've left off with one of the more quoted and debated sections of scripture. This is one that you've probably heard in different situations, in different settings. In Colossians 3, Paul is helping Christians understand what it looks like to live as those who are in Christ. And part of living in him is learning how to live in different relationships, in different institutions. We are still part of the world. We aren't of the world. So we still, we need training and understanding of how to operate in these different institutions and in these different relationships, living in the spirit, in Christ. So that involves living in the way that we were created to, that we, were in, that we are intended to to live the first relationship that paul walks us through is the relationship between husbands and wives so we're going to go ahead and pick up 
uh, starting at uh, 18, if you want to read through the rest of the chapter. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not aggravate your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for the wrong you have done. For God has no favorites. I'm going to start off this conversation by posing something for both of us to chew on. This didn't make sense to me at first. This whole concept, right? This whole idea of what does submission, what does headship, all of those things that are wrapped up into, into it, not a clue. I didn't grow up with a model of this. Sure, my dad would come and help out my mom as she needed it while he was alive, but there was no template for what a godly husband or a godly wife or a godly marriage looked like growing up. So by default, this didn't really make sense. And on top of it, a lot of the early uh, church-related examples of this focused a lot more on control than it did faithful submission. So I want to say as a quick side note, if you're listening to this and didn't or haven't come to a natural understanding of this without some kind of um, intercession from another guy, some kind of counseling, something like that, you are among friends. You are not alone in that because there are plenty of us Christian guys, Christian husbands, who didn't have this template growing up. I, I, ooh, there is so many layers right here. And even as you share, more layers pop up. Now, what I want to try to take off the table is submission is not a sign of weakness. And how do we know this? Well, we know Christ submitted to the Father and the Holy Spirit submitted to Christ. So we have what's going on this sense of bringing order to what could be chaotic. And that's essentially thought of as a strength. What happens is that the world tends to forget a lot of things because of the corrupt nature of the world. As a matter of fact, when Eve was created, she was created second. And so now we see that position plays a part in the order, not causing inequality, but causing a difference, if we could put it at that. What I find, and I know a lot of women have struggled with this, and generally, generally because um, there are a lot of guys who take advantage of it, but there is, and this this is something that popped up, and it, it may not be spoken of, but there are some women who are quite acute, or excuse me, adept at using 
the form of submission to get what they want. Um, and this is this is the problem with living in a corrupt world. We take out what God has created as intimacy, and we have made it be a certain way. And I'll give you an example. Not this is not an example from life. This is something I made up. I want to be clear about that. If if a wife wants to control her husband, she knows that she can do things that please him, and then she can say, "Okay, I'm going to barter, and I need you to do this for me. I know you don't want to do it, but we're going to do it anyway." Sometimes it's not a big deal. It really isn't. But there is that sense of using something uh, with an air of getting what you want out of it. And everybody does it. But what I find interesting is, and there's two parts to this. And we go to verse 19. God says, for husbands to love your wives. Hey, we have to be told to love our wives. That's scripture. Why do we have to be told to love our wives? You, so it's something in there that's saying we don't truly do it. God is, t- and it's on God's radar, and he's telling us to love our wives. So now we could tend to get focused on verse 18 as being, oh, that's heavy-handed and everything, and miss completely that love is out of the equation here on the guy's side. And not only that, it's a, a clause not to treat them harshly. So not to treat your wives bitterly, not to treat them in a wrong way. So we have this dynamic that doesn't usually get spoken of, but we have equal um, deficiencies on both roles. And I want to say that the wife role is very important because this is what it says. And you may miss it because it's stuck on the first part. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting for those females who belong to the Lord. Nah, that's not what it said. Not those females who belong to the Lord, as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. So that means men have to submit too to God. And I will venture this. There was one woman that I know of, and I'm not mentioning any names, who had a difficult time with submission because her husband was hard-headed. Okay, I get it. I know the husband. I understood her point and everything I said. But what I, I, and this is not well phrased, but his only example of submission to God is you. Because you're that picture there for him to model after. You're the real life example. And it's not always a perfect situation because we live in a fallen world. and There's a corrupt system that is always at work from the enemy to destroy marriages. But for that situation, instead of fighting him, try to understand what he needs. And he needs to become more intimate with God, because we can see that in the verse, as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. He was what you you would call first-generation Christian. He didn't have any example before him, good or bad. He just didn't. So he has no framework. And... Um, it can be a little sad to look at him that way because he's missing out on his relationship with God. So the, the both roles produce a good example of what we call reflections of God. And we can't negate one for the other. As, as a matter of fact, the Bible said God made man in his image, male and female. He made them in Genesis 127. So we have to understand marriage is a picture of God. 
it will always be that. And if there's any disunity, it's because it doesn't look like God anymore. So how do we get back into that? A key component is the submission factor, the love factor, both roles. Submission also can be a display of love. So that's probably about all I'm going to say as far as the two genuine roles that we see in the beginning. There is a call to intimacy. We, we've given our lives, and this is the other thing, in Ephesians, we see a lot of this is similar to Ephesians. The husband's supposed to lay down his life for his wife. And the example that Christ gives is that Christ washes the bride with the word. So as husbands, we have to be in the word to be able to wash and cleanse our wives in the word. And that's a beautiful picture of a husband caring for his wife. And every husband knows women like baths and luxurious baths and everything. And then you're washing her with the word of God and everything. And it's just that cleansing kind of thing. I'm just actually feeling something uh, tingling all over my body as I'm saying that. That that's a, really in essence probably what happens for the woman is she gets to enjoy and be refreshed and everything with a man that's looking after her who's concerned about her spiritually as well as physically that he's giving up his life for her to take care of her it's a beautiful beautiful thing they had a, a phrase back in my day they probably still have it around i'm sure you've heard it they call it the 50 50 marriage yeah i give 50 percent, you give 50 percent which is really kind of like a strange thing because first of all, you have to both agree on what's 50% and that's not going to happen. And then the other thing is what happens when you've done your 50? What next? Okay, so marriages like that are doomed to fail. Um, and and we could even say 100%, but if we do that in the flesh, that 100% is really probably like 75%. And, you know, a sweaty 80, I don't know. But people, that's why, why the Lord says, you know what? Without limit. Be devoted to your spouse without limit. And we're talking about no limits by God's standards, not no limits by our standards. That's why uh, when you look at the version of love that husbands are called into it's agape love like you were like you had mentioned i i just I, the thought that i have and i don't mean to interrupt you is when i talk without limits we're talking about fruit of the spirit we are definitely talking about that you know praying for your spouse without limits i'm not talking about things that are wrong i'm talking about things that are right so just that so that there's not someone thinking off in the wild, oh, this bad situation is going to, they're, they're saying this has to apply. No, there are marriages that are dysfunctional. I came from one, my father, and I've said it before, he used to beat my mother and beat us as kids. Um, but God loved him without limit. And I loved him without limit. I still love him to this day, even though my memories of him are not good. I wanted him in my life, but I also wanted him in my life in a way that was good. I wouldn't accept him in a bad way. Now that's right or wrong in God's eyes. I don't know because sometimes there are parts of me that would be doing the wrong thing. So mind you, it's not a perfect situation, but loving a person, and this is, and this goes not just to marriage, but this goes into us spreading the gospel. We cannot 
love with a limit because then we decide whether we're going to hold back the message of the gospel from someone uh, for many many different reasons whether okay they're transgender and I, i'm not going to share the gospel until they come back or switch back however you want to phrase that or i have someone who's um, drug addicted i'm not going to love it or share the gospel with him because he's it doesn't mean anything to him he just wants another hit um i'm not gonna um share with this person this family member because they're in sin in whatever thing and we tend to be really good at saying let's put limits on things because we want a behavior that is conducive to sharing the gospel and that's not the way Christ did it. Christ gave the the kingdom is at hand to everybody. He said it out loud and everything. And you have people who are like the Pharisees that would push back against him because they only wanted it their way. So Christ is our example. And loving without limit, um, fruit of the spirit without limit, fruit of the yes, fruit of. I want to make sure I didn't say that plural. Fruit of the spirit without limit. So there's a lot of things that we have to do that will advance the kingdom of God if we do it without limit. And we see this in the family dynamic uh, between the, the spouses and then the parents to the child. Right. You, you see this outline that a lot of times gets thought of as a line. Right, you start at God, you go to the husband, you go to the wife, you go to the kids, you go, and it's depicted in this linear kind of way. But the problem with that is, is that's it's all coming as a byproduct of living in in Christ, of being obedient to the Spirit. Like Edgar said, there is zero condemnation in anything that's being said. It, this is not about what you got wrong about it. This is about the freedom that we have to be able to live out of a place that we are called to intended to live out of and the results of that. 100% there are complicated situations, there are complicated examples. There are humans are complicated. So, so yes, we are going to have plenty of examples that are yeah, buts, yeah, buts. But when you look at the way that this is designed and to, to speak to what you had said, Edgar, about this not being a workspace thing, you can do all of the works. You can choose to stop and get your wife flowers. And that's a nice thing to do. But the the source that you're drawing from has to be outside of yourself in order to fully live this out. You know, it's not about necessarily, you know, what have you done for me lately sort of approach that gets taken a lot of times with marriage. Like, so long as you do this, I'll do that sort of thing. It's more about I am living in submission to God. And because of that, because this is how he's called me to be, and by that, that when you have that, there's a reason why you hear all of these beautiful, beautiful stories, like the one that you were talking about, Edgar. And I've, I've seen that in people in my own life. I could tell stories of people around me where you see one 
spouse that is living there, living in the spirit and, and being obedient to God. And they act as this beacon of sorts, this example for the other spouse. And I've seen that happen on, with, with both partners filling either role. Right. This one is always an interesting thing because I, I was a child. Some people might still argue with me on that one. So here, here's an interesting thing. Yeah, and you know, the Bible is really good at saying, that's not what I said. <laughs> um, Paul brings out, with honor your mother and your father so that your days may be long on earth. Uh, and the thing is, we say, well, you know, if our parents are good, we'll obey them. It doesn't say that. It really doesn't. And the Bible even says that, that for the most part, fathers discipline their children in a way they think is good. Um, and now there's some really bad fathers out there, don't get me wrong. But even my father was what I would consider one of those fathers that was basically good. Now, he had an issue with alcohol and um, womanizing. Um, and that that really tore him up inside. Now, we don't think of guys like that as being torn up inside. We think of them as either sowing their oats or doing whatever they want, not caring about anybody else. But there's a vicious cycle. And if you study um, dependencies, uh, you learn that people are trapped. They really are. And they're, they're, they're self-medicating in a way that's really harmful for them. Um, and generally, when you self-medicate without God, you know, you're doing something very harmful. When you self-medicate, it's only God. It's not God plus something else. So, but I do want to qualify that when I'm talking about self-medication, it's with the intent of using something that's going to be prohibitive to what we really want to do. That's going to mask something. Now, we, we should always take the medicines that we're supposed to. I'm on some medication for, for health issues, but I don't want to stop you from that. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is when we take something destructive and try to use it and include God in it. Like I would say to... An example might be um, taking a drug that might kill you. Uh, what do they call those drugs? The ones that are not legal. I don't say illegal drugs. They have a word for it. Ill illicit? Illicit. Okay, I'll go with that. Uh, you know, like an illicit drug that will wind up, uh, could very much kill you in, in one dose, so to speak. Um, we're a hurting community. We are. And part of that is the way we've grown up. And there's a lot of issues with it. My father used to be a very physical, for lack of a better term, dis discipliner. Um, and we were probably thankful that we didn't get to see him as much, but we longed for him, we did. And I have two younger brothers, and I say younger to my age, my sister was much older, 12 years older. Um, but children need their parents. They need both of them. Not one is more than the other. But my mother was the saving grace of our family. And, you know, even as wonderful she was, and she took care of us, um, did we obey her? No, we didn't. Sometimes we just say, eh, I don't want to clean up my room. Well, I'm not going to come back at this hour. You can't tell me what to do. And then you get into the teenage. So as children... We don't understand the concept of obedience, what it brings. Obedience is, in a way, is expressing love. That I care what 
you, I value you that I'm willing to do what you say over what I want to do. Um, I've once heard obedience um, explained as obedience is love expressed, which I thought was very good. You know, we have the opportunity to really show people we care by how we listen to what they say and the rules they set in. And for some weird reason, we're willing, and not all circumstances, but we're willing to follow rules for a stranger. Like when we go to a stranger's house, they say, you know, please take off your shoes at the door, or they'll say, you know, this is, please smoke outside, um, or something like that. And we're more, but when we're, it's our own family, we're like, oh, you just got to get used to it. Love me, accept me, that kind of a thing. But the other part of that is a parental role. Fathers, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. Now, this is a heavy one because I'm, I'm a father and I know the weight of this because I've seen my children get discouraged of um, from me being their father and not being able to Oh, what's that word? It's in a different translation. Provoke your children. And, you know, it's really a sad situation when you understand that children are a gift from God and then you don't treat them as that. But we we do have a, a tendency to minimize the joy that they can bring. Um, and part of that is the way they behave. They have this freedom to chase around things and explore and ask questions and everything. And if you're working nine to five, you may not have the energy. And then somebody just went off on me mentally on that nine to five. But, you know, when, you, when you're doing the whole rat race thing, you know, it happens. Mothers who work at home taking care of the children have an even far greater issue uh, to deal with because there's that constant pull at them with low, um, low return. But... We're parents and we get at an end of this weird kind of um, decision where we said we can only give this much. We've limited ourselves. No more. That's it. I'm shut off. Get away from me. I'm done. And then that child has nowhere to turn. So and part of that is our fault. Um, part of that is our parents fault. If there is structure. You know, okay, children, let's get together. Let's read stories, which is something that you, you start to wind them down, teach them to wind down instead of being hyperactive. You know, there was a whole opportunity for that before technology became such a heavy influence in the family. And, you know, Christian families would do their prayers and the songs and their Bible devotions. And the children understood now the day was coming to a close. And if you did it early enough and the kids were in bed by eight, you had a good two hours maybe to yourself for you and your wife um, to do whatever you needed to do, to speak with each other, you know, to have your own time to just decompress, you know. So sometimes we have to fight in a way that brings routine into our lives. And that's very hard because we live at, at the beck and call of anything that pops up. We got to... Deal with it right then and there. And sometimes those are the things that can wait. Um, so it's a struggle. And, I, and I, I see this whole section as God saying, you know what? There's an order here. And if you're not careful, you're going to miss it. So I, I find this very, very 
illuminating. But also I want to say that for those who feel they have failed, and believe me, there's probably a lot of people because I know I feel I fail a lot. God is the redeemer of everything, including time. So he can take and build those relationships up um, because he's able to do the impossible. And we shouldn't feel minimized or marginalized or um, limited by that. We should really reach out first and foremost to God to not only have him reveal himself, but to explain to us what we need to change and to get right so that we can have the relationships that God intends. Now, those relationships are important because they're part of the second greatest commandment. We're supposed to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And if we're spending time with the Father, we get that love that he has for us. It sinks in. We start to capture it. We start to realize and we start to understand when we're not in it. So then we can go forward and say, you know what? I want to cultivate that in my life. You know, um, I said it before that I'm going into a deeper level. My wife is in in what the things of God. And it's all about having more of a relationship. And it's it's a truly personalized. And by personalized, I mean, not a textbook, not read these X number of chapters. But I'm talking about talking to God and really listening and knowing when you feel like, A, he wants you to check something. B, he wants you to explore something. C, he wants you to love someone. And D, he wants you to move forward. Those kinds of things. It's really relational and personalized to you. Those are the things that are going to be more amazing. And I feel like, and Joe, we talked a little bit about this. People are headed this way as far as having a deeper connection to God. And I don't like the word connection because it's not deep enough for me. Um, but I can't think of a better word at the moment. This leaning on God and saying, I want more of you. And with that comes the understanding that he's got a lot in his word that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who's God indwelling us, can unlock for us and can teach us. Just as we pulled so much already from these first four verses, he wants to give us more than that. He wants to give us abundantly. And, you know, someone else may come up with a completely different thing. That's the neat thing about the, the Lord is that he can teach people what they need to know, when they need to know it, where they need to know it. And we, we, we struggle with being in the place of receiving. We do. But that's our nature because we're, I don't want to say because we're fallen. We're, we're transformed and we are learning to receive. We should always learn to receive. And the more I learn to speak life words, and by that mean no judgment, no tearing down, no gossip, no any cursing is already out the window. We're going on to bigger things. And the bigger things look smaller in, in the world's eyes. Oh, that's not that big a deal. It's big in God's eyes. So the, once you get past all the cursing, the big things start to come up. It's when you make a little indirect you know, um, and, and it's, it's meant to be cutting or to put somebody in their place. But when you speak life, when you truly speak life, you see the difference. And you go from the speaking death and speaking life to you start to get the concept, to get the hang of where, where you're saying it, when you're saying it, how you're saying it, what triggers you're saying it. And you start to develop this resistance to doing this death talk. And if you do it 
correctly, someone is going to understand it. So in other words, it's got to be out there. It can't be in your head. It's got to actually come out. And I, you know, I've witnessed it. You know, you go into any meeting, you'll hear death talk all the time. Well, why didn't you do that? That's a pretty simple thing to do. What was wrong with you? You know, and sometimes it's not that cutting, but you know, it, you know, why didn't you think of that? It was pretty obvious. I mean, anyone could have seen it. That is not speaking life. An example might be to re say it this way. You know, one thing you might want to look for is this next time, because there's always going to be a next time. That's just the way the world is, you know, um, and there are ways we can just flip things around, but we got to become conscious of that. And how do we become conscious of that? We have a teacher who teaches us. And what does he teach us from? The Bible. Okay. Because it's his word and it's multi-layered. It's not just um, written for the audience at that time, but it's written for the, I'm going to say the audience through history so that the people who come after will be able to talk about it. John, uh, John 17, Jesus says, you know, that the people that are coming of after him, uh, after when he dies, that they were seen already. So that's you and I. Um, so there's a lot of things that the Lord wants to show us, but we have to be receptive and we have to be willing to try it out and test it out and learn it, make mistakes, catch ourselves. And that's the best way. Anybody who's ever learned a skill set will know you don't do it. Uh, perfectly from the bat. You know, I'm not a painter for a reason. I did one painting. It was my worst and my best at the same time. <laughs> it was a landscape and I, I truly liked it except for this one branch. This one branch mocked me as far as I was concerned and I would not hang the painting up. So that was my foray into oil paint. My wife encouraged me and she said it was very good. But, you know, she was speaking life to me. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, any skill set, learn it. Don't expect it to be perfect. The, the Holy Spirit will teach you. And, hey, if you knock it out of the ballpark, good for you. Excellent. Wonderful. Pass it along. With all of the talk of parents... I don't know about you, but as I got as I've gotten older, as I've experienced more things, um, and, and I've kind of realized where I've held my parents' feet to the fire over the years. You know, yes, it's been complicated. Yes, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But none of us have the manual for always getting it right, and it almost becomes a question of. And I know that this isn't applicable for every single person's situation. Trust me, if there's anybody who knows that, it's me. But, you know, what would you have done if given in that kind of situation, that situation? Where, how would you have reacted? That kind of thing. And no, you're not your parent, but none of us get it right all the time. And so I'm, I'm real curious. Um, for me, not being a parent, it's a little bit different. I can see the reflection of unpacking this stuff and dealing with this stuff in my marriage, in my relationships, and how I operate as a Christian. Um, but there is that piece missing of how does that, the, the difference that takes place with interacting with your kids. 
When you're raised in a situation where you don't have that clear outline of, you know, how how to do the whole being a husband thing and how to do the whole marriage thing in a godly way and all of that, when you grow up in a messy situation and you, you know, look at your parents from a complicated point of view, how does that change when you yourself become a parent and you yourself now have little eyes you know, I know all of your kids are older now, but but you now have eyes watching you in the same way that once you were watching your parents. Oh, 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 you asked that loaded question. Thanks for throwing the grenade. Um, you know what it was interesting, and I'll say this. When I was a child, I want I dreamed of having a family. I wanted to be a father, I wanted to be a husband. Part of that was because I wanted to make up for what I didn't have. In other words, in my child dynamic way of save, saving myself, I would want to create the family that I was not born into. Well, you know what? The world doesn't want that kind of thing to happen. So the thing is i knew that i didn't want to be like the way my father was but i didn't know how to be a father and the one great thing was is that as i got older the lord brought me into his family and i got to see families that were christian how they behaved with one another and some of them went through challenges but they were always trying to draw closer to the lord and i picked that up um, there was one family that was really very instrumental in my life, and I loved them dearly. I, I felt like a, a son of theirs. Um, actually, there's two families like that, now that I say that. Um, and so I had this kind of jealousy for them. And at one point, the son um, made a nasty comment about his stepdad. And I was like, I wish I had him as a father was my mind. And I was really angry with him. So past the decades on, what I learned with my own children is that they, and I've said this to pastors, they, they are the ones that show me I still have further to go. And my youngest right now is 21. And I still feel that, that I have so much further to go because my children and all of them, you know, my wife included, give me a reason to continue forward like the Lord. And it's kind of this weird, almost on the same level as the Lord, but not in replacement of him, but they're like anchors. That does not mean I do things perfectly. And, you know, my kids might tell you, yeah, dad last week was very imperfect. <laughs> and I, I would have to agree with them, honestly. I have my shining moments, but sometimes there's a lot of gap between them. Um, but, you know, I'm trying to, not only because you're watching, but I'm trying for myself, in all honesty, knowing that it should be displayed out, because we're light, and light's meant to be seen, draw deeper to the Lord, in authenticity. We have enough people around us that don't walk in the genuineness of God indwelling. It needs to be displayed. And part of that is when I make a mistake, I own it. And that can be the hardest thing. And again, it's the breaking down and the resisting going on. Well, you know what? 
how do you break it down without making it seem like a life lesson? And just a genuine humbling before the Lord, no more, no less. Kids, I failed you really bad. And I'm sorry, and I don't really know how to make it up. Um, that's probably the biggest thing that comes out to me is that I, I am still learning how to be a godly father, a godly man, knowing that it impacts them. Not only now, but in the future and in any families um, that come after them. It, it's a big calling. It is a very big calling. And it's not something that you're really probably conscious of unless you grow closer to the Lord. Because we tend to think in temporary terms. When you, when you seek to speak life into people, when you seek to obey, you are following the commands that you are given. And in, in like, like you said, Edgar, that is a form of affection, of, of, of love, of showing, showing that you care about what is being said enough to listen. And as Christians, um, I know all too well that it, it can become easy to focus on some things, not focus on other things, make exceptions or make excuses and let, you know, you figure, ah, oh, nobody's perfect. I don't, you know, never, you know, never bat a thousand, but nobody is perfect. But there's a difference between not being perfect and making an excuse. And rather than focus on hey, you're not doing this. Hey, you're not doing that. We need to flip the conversation to what are you doing? What can you be doing? What? And, and moving forward past the, hey, I got it wrong. Because we all get it wrong. It doesn't matter if you're single. It doesn't matter if you're married. It doesn't matter if you have no kids or if you've got 10 kids. It does not matter. We all get it wrong. And I know for this whole parent thing, this can be kind of a, a sore subject for some people. Almost parents are such an important part of your life. You know, they, they are the ones that, that, for, that, are, that are there in those formative years. And as a kid, you are looking to them for safety and for guidance and for love. And, and they are the ones that are responsible for you. And if that role, the person filling that role gets it wrong in, in, in certain ways, that, that leaves really lasting effects on on a person now uh, anybody who's filling that role again is in some way shape or form going to get it wrong so it's not like you know you can be a perfect husband it's not like you can be a perfect parent but these are some of the same reasons why you find that it is so difficult for some people I, myself included i did not call god father for a minute because I had to wrap my mind around re redefining what that meant. Redefining what father meant. And not viewing God the Father through my my through the lens of, of my experiences with my father. 
you know, and while, again, we go back to this whole thing of, oh, but it's complicated. Oh, but you don't know my parents. Oh, but you don't know this. Everybody's parents are complicated. I'm right there with you. If there, if I was checking the box next to relationship status between my mother and I, check, it's complicated. But at the end of the day, to go back to the whole thing of love without limitation, so much of our lives are things that we experience and things that we learn that shape the way that we that we view things and you know Edgar you were talking about going into a different level as far as the way that you are interacting with God and how purposeful you are shine some light on what the process to that that that's not something that a happens overnight but kind of the mindset behind that okay um oh i don't know if i can do this but i will try there are um sometimes we have people that come into our lives and who display good examples of attributes we would like to incorporate uh, one example might be the way they pray they pray with an authentic way and it's not that staunch um i don't want to say formulaic but that kind of staunch business i can't think of the word business kind of talking to god where it doesn't feel like it's a vibrant um connection to god but more like a ooh, religious connection to god <laughs> where it has that air of piety and not that air of humility um and so we we gravitate towards someone that where we feel is expressing a closeness to god and want to understand that so we can develop it in our lives and that may be a way that a person reads the bible and you ask them and they say you know you you must read like four or ten chapters a day no i read actually i try to keep it to a minimum of about five verses what <laughs> that sounds counterproductive and then they tell you because i want to talk to the lord about these verses but more importantly i want to hear what he has to say you can do that i never heard of that before and so this whole thing starts to open up and that's why family is important the, the body of christ is important because there are opportunities to learn from one another and there's a verse that talks about you know each one brings a portion um to the i don't want to say the teaching but to the meeting some is you know a word some is a, a spiritual song and so there's these components that people bring in and they share we we in the western church setting have one person doing the teaching and you know a worship thing but a lot of times it was someone just relating what they had learned oh let me share this song with you or let me share what the lord showed me in this verse and then you start to see things differently and sometimes it is just the way they say it so all that to say is as we start seeing people display things that we like and we want to cultivate in our lives and we ask god how do we do this how do we bring this in we get this sense of teaching that says that is basically a process of breaking it down and 
it's funny, but one of the first things you find out, and Joe, you can correct me if I'm wrong, is as you start to break it down, you get a little resistant. I don't want to do that. You know, <laughs> no, 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 I cannot do that. But, you know, like praying for someone in public. Yeah. Come on, break it down. What do you do? Oh, you actually have to talk to them? No, God, why can't you do it from across the street? You know, so you start to become emboldened to pursue God as you get into this relationship of, you know, breakdown and resistance and going back and forth. And it really is this process of saying, you know what, I'm surrendering who I am to be more like you. And in the process of that, I'm actually finding out who you made me to be, which is better than who I am. You know, so there's this whole thing that's this individual, uniquely designed by God kind of way of scraping off what the world has put a hold on you for and to revealing you as a son of God. And as we said before, that's men and women, sons of God. And you start to become a person who prays at the drop of a hat for someone. When I say, you know, um, can you pray for me because I'm going through something? Sure, let's do it right now. You don't find those people a lot, but the one thing you do when you find that person is you know they meant to do it because they were right there for it. And be that person in authenticity as God leads you, as he teaches you, as he breaks down, breaks it down for you on how to do it and you resist and then you surrender. And you, I'm, I'm telling you, it's a fascinating, fascinating thing going on in your life. You will feel like you're watching yourself on the outside. But while you're going through it, you don't realize you're doing it. And it just feels like you're, you know, you're you're sweating in 90 or 100 degree weather with like 98% humidity. I should really say 110% humidity. But it, it can feel just like a drain on you and everything. But the reality is you're going deeper than you thought in a way that becomes, I want to say natural, but it, it, it really isn't something like, oh, I'm going to set out to do it this way. It's not, not, not one of those self-help. It's not a self-help plan that you're doing. You're just engaging Holy Spirit and pursuing Him the way He wants to be pursued. And then you're picking up these things because you're seeing Him talk to you and you're getting a clue and the light bulb goes off. And you, you're saying, you know what? I now appreciate what that person did for me. And you know they said it in a wrong way, but they were looking out for you and trying to help. That their heart was good. The rest was a mess. But you can understand and you could see that the person didn't mean it the way it had come across to you. So you surrender and forgiveness flows out. And all of a sudden you realize you're forgiving a lot more people than you thought you would have. And now... Someone tells you the strangest thing. You know what? You look good with a smile on your face. And you never realized that it was missing. But now people are responding to what the Lord has done in you. And you have not realized it. And it feels, it honestly feels like it took no time at all. Once you get to that point. There is that work. But it's a strange thing of time for us. We live in a splice of time. So this is why we could feel like we were young and it was more than five decades ago. Nobody talked about that. <laughs> so, but time plays a very 
differently for us than it does for God. But for us, we live in a splice of time at a time. And so it passes quickly. You know, this is why Ecclesiastes talks about the time going quickly. So I would encourage everyone to just really find that nugget that the, the thing that you want, if you see it displayed and a light bulb goes off, pursue it. Let the, the Holy Spirit break it down. I could give you examples, but I'm also sort of like afraid that you look only for those examples and not the ones that are for you. Or you try to do it the way I did it and it will just frustrate you because you're not me. Yeah. And as we say before, let it be messy. Let God clean it up. And sometimes you have to make it messy in order to clean up. And I don't want to gross anyone else, but that's how you clean out a wound. You get all that mess out and then you can clean out the wound once it's clean. You, you sterilize it, you sew it up, you put bandages on it, and then it heals nicely. But it's yeah. sort of the same thing. Yeah. It has to be individualistic. There, yes. Everybody, every one of our relationships with God is an individual one. And every single one of our paths, as we navigate through all of this stuff, as we navigate how to communicate with God, as we navigate how to live every single day in Christ, like you said, from that place where it it starts to become natural, it starts to feel right, that that is a messy process with a lot of time spent and a lot of conversations had going both ways, and it's going to look so drastically different. And the beautiful thing about that is for anybody listening that you know had that complicated past and they're trying to figure out how to how to maybe do some things differently or something along those lines that we have god we have holy spirit for us to 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 rely on to depend on for to be the teacher that we didn't have um on earth and so it's important to to point out and to note the fact that um regardless of how it started there's always room for change and to grow and there's always room for god to be able to come in and restore things in us that the world may have damaged or taken Father God, I thank you for all that you share with us, Father, and how you place things inside us that remains hidden until the appointed time, and you pull it out, Father, a memory here or words spoken, a face that we might have seen many years ago, or even a, a scent, an aroma, you can pull these out and just give us a moment to really reflect on something. Father, your word is like that, and it shows us so many things, and we we just are learning. We're really learning, and no matter how messy it is, we know that you're a God that teaches perfectly. And you have all the time in the world to show us, to help us get it right, and that there is no condemnation, Father. Your heart is delighted when we try to reproduce what you've said, 
to make it a part of our lives. And when it comes out like a finger paint drawing, you relish in that. You know it's not perfect, but you see the heart in it. Father, I thank you for everyone who's felt like their childhood has been lost and is not redeemable. You are the God who redeems and you are the God who sees and we need you now more than ever, but not as much as tomorrow. We will always have need of you, Father. And I pray for each and every listener right now that you would manifest your great love upon them. They would know they're not alone and that there is no judgment for them, that you come to give them love, to express them, to save them from what the world has done, from what the enemy has done, and from what they have done. I thank you in Jesus' name for all of them, precious in your eyes. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to Buddy Walk with Jesus. For more information, check us out at buddywalkwithjesus.com. Look for us on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and a review. You can also find us on Discord at the Buddy Walk Community for prayer and fellowship. And lastly, if you check out the episode description, we have a listener support link and we would love your support for this ministry. As always, know that you are prayed for and know that you are loved.